to put their foot forward and say, I'm entitled. If I'm doing the equal job, I should be paid for it. For all the young women now who have never had to deal with those problems, I walk the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for you. Welcome to another episode of Right of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to write your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. If you've been through hell and lived to tell about it, or your family skeletons are poking out of the closet, you'll want to check it out at lifestorytelling.com. Our guest today is the author of Breaking Down the Walls. It's her story of how she broke down the prejudices against women during the last century. In 1962, she was the first woman stockbroker permitted to walk the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. She received her license, walked the floor of the exchange, and fought for and got equal pay for equal work. During her long career, she founded a mutual fund and opened two stock brokerage companies. She made fortunes and folded companies, all while raising five children, persevering to achieve the work-home balance. She rose through the ranks of a male-dominated industry, opening the door for young women who would follow behind her. Norma, welcome. Thank you, Stacy. I really am anxious to speak to you and your audience. I um, have read portion of your book, Breaking Down the Walls, and this is very exciting. Tell us a little bit more about the book itself and about your journey to writing the book. You know, I started the book not for the audience, but for my family. It was a, to give them a legacy. I thought that they should know more about me. You know, children grow up and they're involved in the family, but they really don't know what the parents are doing during the day. Right. And since I was away so much, my children got only a small part of what I had to do during the day. And so I wrote the book. After I've done a lot of traveling and I said to my husband, you know, I don't think the children have any idea what you and I have been through. And he said, you know, why don't you sit down and write about it? And so that kind of put the bug in my head. And, you know, I'm used to being a busy person. And so this gave me a project that I needed to do. And I started writing down incidents that happened from this time I started my career and how I got started and and what happened during my life. After 50 years in the financial industry and being on the forefront of the women's movement, which I didn't know there was a women's movement, but it became (laughs) part of my background, I started to realize that this could be a book not only for my family, but for others, women that are struggling out there to fight to break down the walls that they are encountering. I feel that everybody has a story to tell, not only for themselves and the people around them, but for their families. Their families need to know what they have gone through during their lives. You know, it's a lifetime. That's right. 50 years is a long time. It so, is. And, and everybody doesn't have 50 years, but you know they have a life, and they should write these incidents down as they go through it because it could become a book when they retire or want to leave something for their families. Make notes. Leave notes. 
it's important that you do that, whether you intend to write a book or not, because you don't know what you're going to intend to do years from now. It's so true that we should write down our lives as we are experiencing them because our children don't know what we do during the day and what we do to make money. We bring home a paycheck and perhaps they need some of that insight. Number one, to know mom or dad a little bit more, but also to give them possibilities for their own lives as well. Exactly. You know, some of the stories that I told here, my children say, you know, I can't believe that during your time, you had no ability to have a credit card. Yes. I mean, to them, that's life today, you know. Exactly. Uh, or, a te- or a cell phone. Well, that's the stories that you need to tell your family because it's not only your life, but it's everybody's life at that time. Mm-hmm. And what they were up against in order to make a living. Unless you know where we've come from, you have no idea what the future could hold for you guys going forward. There's got to be such tremendous things going to happen that your lives will change as well. And you don't realize that unless you look back. What has happened during those 50 years? Why do they say I was at the forefront of the women's movement? Because women could not have bank accounts. Women could not have credit cards. They couldn't have stock accounts. Women could not have any of the things that they have today. We were really to be homemakers, period. Wow. Unless you were, of course, a teacher or a nurse, that was the only careers open to you. And since I wasn't either of those two or a a secretary, I had to find a career that fit my interests and my abilities. I was excellent in math. I loved the stock market. It was something that I was interested in. And so when I found an opportunity, because I really had to go to work, my husband had lost his job. We were really out of money. And if I didn't go to work, we had nothing. Right. And so I was forced to go find a career. And fortunately, I saw that there was an opportunity at one of the major brokerage firms that was starting a training program for stockbrokers. Well, nobody told me there were no women stockbrokers, and so I made a phone call, I made an appointment, and I show up, and the gentleman says to me, oh, we've never had a woman stockbroker. (laughs) (laughs) He says, but you know what? Might be a time to try. And so he said, you'll have to take three days of tests. If you do well, we may consider it. And so I went to take these three tests and there was a a psychologist there and he looked at me and he said, well, (laughs) this is a new one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, several days later, I received a phone call and he said, you know, come in, I would like to speak to you. I obviously had done very, very well because he was, he says, we're considering you for this training program. He says, but I have one problem. I said, what is that? We don't know what to pay you. We've never hired a woman before. Oh, dear. I was so taken back. I said, well, what are you paying everybody else in the class? He said, well, they're all men, and you know they have families. They have expenses. They have, uh, they're coming to work, you know. I said, look, I'm not coming to work for fun. I'm leaving children at home. I said, I'm coming to work because of need. I'm going to work very hard. I'm going to attend the classes. I'm going to spend the same time 
And in addition to that, I also have to buy a wardrobe that uh, I could uh, come to work in. It's not a, a homemaker's ward wardrobe. And I have one other expense that these men don't have. And he says, what's that? I have to hire a wife. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think every woman listening to this is standing up and applauding right now. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. He said, you know what? I've never thought of that. And so the point I'm trying to make is that you have to negotiate. You can't just accept it. I could have just as well say, well, whatever you want to pay me is fine. It was not fine. Right. I was coming to work and I was going to be doing the same job as everybody else. I wasn't working part time. I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, uh, sloughing off on the job. I was going to do a job. Right. And so why shouldn't I get equal pay? Well, even today, they're still struggling. Women are still struggling. My book teaches people how to negotiate. It's not a learning book. It's a story. It's a story of my life and what I encountered. And by that, you also will probably feel you're encountering the same problems. Nothing has changed. Women have to put their foot forward and say, I'm entitled. Absolutely. If I'm doing the equal job, I should be paid for it. Right. Not the fact that I'm a female and you pay me less. So anyway, going on forward from that, of course, I had to start now that I got the training, go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so you did. The book is really fascinating. It's all about story. And at one point you wrote in here, at that moment, I knew I am a woman who will punch through glass if I need to. Did you realize at the moment you were going through all of this, that you were going to be the first woman stockbroker permitted to walk across the floor of the New York Stock Exchange? Not at the time I punched through glass. Right. You find obstacles and you have to overcome them. And that's what I did. And so I wrote that particular phrase because I realized later on that all of my life was facing locked doors and I had to find a way to open them. Right. We need more Normas. After you did get that job, you went on to found a mutual fund company. You opened two stock brokerage companies. You, you've made fortunes all while raising your kids and persevering. That's just amazing. Tell us a little bit more about how you persevered, because there had to have been downtimes where you doubted yourself. Of course there was. I had children at home that had their needs. One of the things that women have to do when they have families is learn to include their families. I had to plan my day so that there was time not only to work, but to enjoy my family, to be part of a family to have the, the children have individual goals and they needed to be heard. We had to plan their after-school activities with friends and problems that arose there. And so you have to involve yourself in both jobs, not only your working job, but your home job. Your children, your husband, your families are part of a job. And so organizing your time, it's almost like doing a budget to spend your money you have to budget your time. So much has to be given to the work job and so much has to be given at home. One of the most important things I can tell women today is that dinner time is your time with your family. You must seat them down around a table with you 
and talk. You know, today, people with the cell phones, I don't see people conversing. Nobody talks. Right. Everybody's got their, <laughs> their thumb on the phone. But the most important thing for me was listening to my children speak of their day around the dinner table. It gave me an opportunity to put in what my day was all about. It gave me the opportunity to know where my family was going, where my needs were going to be. It's extremely important that you find that one hour to give to your family and for them to give back to you. Take the time. It's part of living because before you know it, there's going to be an empty nest. And so <laughs> you want so to be part true. of their lives as well. And so that's the advice I can give women as far as raising a family and having a job at the same time. Thank you for that. In your book, there's lots of life lessons. Do you have a portion of the book that you'd like to share with us and read for us today? Well, the portion I'm going to read is at the beginning of the book. And so I will tell you, my parents were Middle Easterners. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a first generation, so I was really brought up in the culture of the Middle East, where women were not at the time involved with, you know, working or anything else outside the home. Women are put down as second-class citizens, as we still see it today, mm -hmm. and my family was the same. Your upbringing has a lot to do with what you're doing. And in the book, I write a passage in the middle on page 61, and I'm turning to it now. And it says, for all the women who waited until a card game was finished to sneak away to the toilet, for all the women who never dreamed that they could be more than salespeople working from home, for all the women who couldn't own credit cards, and for all the young women now who have never had to deal with those problems, I walk the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for you. Wow. And thank you so much for doing that. That brings me to tears, believe it or not. Yeah. It was such an emotional moment for me. Yeah. It opened the door at the New York Stock Exchange for women in the future to be able to work there. Take me to that very first time when you opened the door and you went through and you were a legitimate stockbroker, the first woman stockbroker. Tell me about that day, that moment. Uh, I didn't know that they didn't allow women to work on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh -huh. Stockbroker. I was the first woman stockbroker permitted to do that. It took three months for the Board of Governors to go back and forth to decide that maybe they could open the door to one woman. Huh. Because my manager and my actually my trainer fought with them for it. He says, she's part of the class. The class is going to the stock exchange. She must know the workings of the stock exchange as well as everybody else. That's her job. Right. And we have to include her. And they said, no, but it's not our custom to have women. We really, it's a no-no. And finally, he did convince him that I could do that. Provide, he said, but there are no ladies' rooms. I said, well, we can work that out. Somebody can watch the door of the men's room, and I can take care of that. Right. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, she's got to come in before the market opens and leave after the market closes because it's a distraction for the men. Oh. Well, it was some distraction. The language was unbelievable, but I wore earplugs not to hear it. Oh, I mean, goodness. it was just awful. But that's what they were concerned with, that, you know, it was not an environment for women. They felt it would hinder the men in their work environment. But it did not. I was there. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. 
I'll tell you, when I opened my two stockbrokers' firms, it was because I was capable of running a firm after that training in which I went through every department of the brokerage firm and spent time there and learning, you know, how to proceed from step to step to step. And when I opened my firm, I was capable of doing that. That had to be intimidating for you. Was it intimidating or was it? Very much so. Very Mm -hmm. much so. I know I wasn't wanted there. I know that it was going to be difficult. However, I was there to learn. And I put my mind to doing that and not to feel that I was an oddity. They made me feel that way because obviously heads turned when I walked through. But the point was that I was there to do a job and my head was in that direction. I learned That was what I wanted to do, to learn. I went into Terea alone so I could get the clothes to be the first day on the job. And the bank gentleman said to me, oh, we don't give women any loans unless they have a husband to sign for them. I said, well, I'm not going to ask my husband to sign, but I have a job with a salary. Call my boss and see if that is not the case. And he did. And I got that loan. But it was through fighting for it. And Mm. so don't accept a no. That's the word I can give all women. Do not accept a no. Find out what you need to do to do the job. Get the education. Be better than the next one. And you will find that you will not feel intimidated at anything that you do. But it's moving forward. And there are going to be that many more opportunities for women that I can't see from this point now. But I'm sure the next 50 years are going to be just as exciting as it was for me. I can imagine that it will be exciting because of the ground that you broke and so many other women have broken. In writing this book, was it bittersweet thinking about those situations and your life? Did you kind of relive it as you were writing? Yes, I did. And in order to remember some of these things, I had to think back about all the things that I had to do to do my job. And not all of the things I did was successful. I had quite a few failures as well. And in the book, I tell my stories of my pluses and my minuses. Some of the failures taught me that I could move on. The next thing that occurred to me was the fact that I was not afraid of failure. That is the fear that we all have. We're afraid to fail. And you've got to give that up. Failure is not the end all. Failure only makes you stronger. It makes you recognize for the next thing that you do, what not to do. Mm. And you know, it's a learning process like anything else. Like you learn the stock market, like you learn your job. You learn that failure is not the worst thing that could happen. I even went bankrupt. So, <laughs> I mean, my uh, my company, that is, right, went bankrupt. Right. And that was a failure. But you know what? The next company I opened was a major success. As a matter of fact, it gave me the ability to sell it and to retire. So, keep going. If you fail, try the next thing. Try the next thing. Keep going because moving forward in your life is what's important. Not what you just finished and what you had in the past. Failure is not the end all and stop being afraid of it. Norma, is there anything else that you'd like to share that I haven't asked you about today? What I what I'm trying to bring forward is the ability to do things. Don't 
put no in front of yourself because no will stop you. No is like a big stop sign. (laughs) And you need to be able to go forward with whatever you want to do. I don't care what it is. Wow. Well, that is absolutely fantastic advice. And Norma, thank you for trailblazing for a lot of us and sharing your insights. I really appreciate that. I hope I help even just one person to do their job. So Norma, you have a giveaway of your book and you will give away five copies to the first five people to contact us, right? Yes. I have a couple of books that I'd like to offer to some of your listeners. The name of the book is Breaking Down the Walls, My Walls and the Walls for Women, and also men today. Men are also facing a lot of walls that they have to deal with. Fabulous. So if you are interested and you have an obstacle to overcome and you'd love to learn how to break down your own walls, email me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at rightofyourlife.com. And we'll also put that in the show notes. So for the first five people that do that and say, I want Norma's book, I'll forward your contact information to Norma and she will send you out a book. Thank you so much for that, Norma. I appreciate that. You're quite welcome. As I said, if it could help somebody, I really would like to know about it too. (laughs) And Norma, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your insights. Thank you, Stacey. Great information from Norma Yeager. Show notes with links are at rightofyourlife.com slash Norma Yeager, and that's Y-A-E-G-E-R. At the end of each episode, I peek into the Life Story Toolkit and share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by LifeStorytelling.com, where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features a website called One Stop for Writers. One Stop for Writers is a powerhouse online library like no other. It's filled with brainstorming tools and descriptive content to help writers elevate their storytelling. I've fallen head over heels in love with this resource. One Stop's Signature Thesaurus Collection is amazing. Yes, I said Thesaurus Collection. Go ahead, geek out on that. There are many unique thesauri plus idea generators, flowcharts, downloads, and lots of other tools. Extensively cross-referenced and intuitively searchable, writers spend less time researching and more time writing. One Stop for Writers is a synergy-driven collaboration between the creator of Scrivener for Windows and the best-selling authors of the Emotion Thesaurus. So there you go. It's a match made in heaven. The website is onestopforwriters.com and many of its features are free. You can unlock more for $9 a month or it's even less expensive at $90 per year. Well, that's all we have for today. Last episode, we interviewed Ann Staley, whose tombstone will read, Loved This World, Pen in Hand. Next week, we'll interview Nick Loper of Side Hustle Nation. He helps people earn money outside of their day job and blogs about his life as a side hustler. If you like this podcast and find it valuable, would you consider sponsoring the show? You can support it by sharing each episode on your social networks 
And you can head over to our special page at patreon.com slash right of your life and become a patron. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash right of your life. Not only will you feel good knowing you're helping the show, but there are special perks for supporters. If just 15 people provided $5 per episode, it would help us reach many more people who could benefit from writing about their lives. We love our listeners and would enjoy interacting with you on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. My handle is Right of Your Life. This show is put together by consulting producer Nick Jaworski at PodcastMonster.com and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life. <laughs>